Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Coming up on this week's show, why are there so few good American soccer analysts on TV? Our thoughts about so many English voices still playing such a big part in soccer coverage in America. The latest developments with the Serie A TV deal. First impressions of Paramount Plus and Der Classica coverage on ABC. What ESPN's NHL deal means for the soccer streaming wars. Plus, we have letters from you, listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishanaya. And Kartik, I, I think uh, you and the listeners probably can tell from just the opening of the show, we've got a lot to get to. <laughs> it's, yeah, been, it's been a busy week. Yeah, very, very busy week. A lot going on this week in the world of football and in, in the broadcast world as well. So, so let's start off uh, with the easy one, which is our first impressions of Paramount Plus. I mean, it launched uh, last Thursday, March fourth, uh, the day we released uh, the last episode of this podcast. So we didn't get a chance to share our feedback. Uh, I logged on on Thursday, March fourth, uh, just to see what it looked like. Uh, I, I'm sure you've had a chance um, since the launch to take a look. Uh, what were your first impressions? It's easier to find things than it was on CBS All Access. So it's better organized. I think when you go into the Champions League and Europa League uh, 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 icons and, and similar, I think will happen with NWSL. NWSL Challenge Cup starts next month. You have a library of all the matches. You have the ability to just jump onto what's, what's being broadcast live. So the organization is much better than it was on CBS All Access. Otherwise, right, it's the same CBS sports coverage. So you don't feel a discernible difference in the coverage you do in the organization, which was something that I, I said, look, I wasn't thrilled with the way uh, it, uh, things were being presented on CBS All Access. But I understood that they were in a transition to Paramount Plus. That's why I gave them a, uh, a the kind of break uh, that I was not going to give NBC with Peacock because Peacock was a new service they were rolling out and seemed to have rolled it out in a very kind of – um, it was a big bang in terms of publicity, but it, the, the, the actual organization of the app or, or, or the service seemed uh, seemed poor. So my my first impression is very positive. So they took the same 
uh, coverage and the same things you have on CBS All Access, and they organized it to where you could find it and then where you could quickly jump uh, and, 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 and find, uh, let's say, Champions League matches. You're, you're watching uh, one match, you're watching Dortmund Sevilla, and you want to go to Juventus Porto. Uh, you're, you're able to, 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 to do that very, very easily, more easily in the Paramount Plus app than you were in CBS All Access. Yeah, and we're recording this before Thursday's Europa League matches, and uh, not that there's a, a million Europa League matches scheduled for Thursday when we're getting into the, the latter rounds of the tournament, um, but uh, in terms of the organization, I didn't see that straight away, but now that you mention it, Kartik, in terms of watching in the Champions League, for example, from the home screen of Paramount+, Plus, it used to be three clicks. I mean, you'd have to find the Champions League section, then you'd find it, and then you'd have to navigate within there to find what you were looking for, and then click again to watch to watch the game. Now it seems to be about two clicks to get get there, so that's easier. But I, I was underwhelmed. I was expecting something a little bit more than what we saw, which is basically uh, a new skin, you mean a new logo. Um, it's pretty much very similar to what we had before. And I was keeping my fingers crossed, hoping that uh, for the match replays or the actual live matches, that we would have pause and rewind uh, capabilities. Those haven't come yet. I, I know that those are coming. I, I was just I was hoping that those would be ready for a launch date. The other thing too is that we know that they have the rights now to the Brazilian league in English, as well as the Argentine league in English. And um, none of those games have been made available yet, even though they have the rights. So there's a pause, there's a delay. Uh, if I had to guess on that, I would say that they're probably trying to find some talent that would fit fit the profile for, for example, Sunday's game between Boca Juniors and River Plate. I mean, Super Classico, biggest game of the season in the Argentine League is not going to be available on Paramount Plus because, I mean, they're, going to, they're not ready to start the coverage yet, even though the leagues are still going. So um, so disappointment there. I mean, the game is still available on Fanatis in Spanish language, but uh, underwhelmed is probably the best, the best description I have so far. But, but it does show you how quickly these streaming services are moving uh, as things change. It's not like they've had like months and months of planning and building and, and, and redesigning things. It seems to be very much, uh, I wouldn't say last minute, but it, it, it is, you mean, they're making changes, but they don't happen as quickly as sometimes the internet would want. And, and in these days, right, soccer is pr- pretty much the internet and the internet is soccer. But overall, not too bad. But but what about uh, De Classica, Kartik? So ABC, big deal, right? This is the, the yeah. first game under the, the New Deal uh, between uh, ESPN and um, the Bundesliga to have a big, massive match on ABC. And, and what were your thoughts, uh, your, your impressions from the coverage that uh, we saw this past Saturday? Well, I, I thought, first off, uh, Taylor Coleman was very excited. Uh, to be to be talking about er- er- Erling Haaland, and I really enjoyed that enthusiasm he had. That's a striker, uh, a, a former striker, talking about a current world class striker at the top of his game, and so that was really exciting in the pregame show. Uh, so first off, I should mention I uh, my ABC affiliate did not carry the match, uh, so or at least did not carry the first half of the match, so I did not see the the ABC 
Sports Center show. I was watching ESPN FC with Kay Murray and Taylor Twelman and Jurgen Klinsmann in the pregame. So I, I enjoyed that pregame. And then once my ABC affiliate showed the match, the picture was actually much better on ESPN Plus for me. Again, I, I as I've said on previous shows, I stream ESPN Plus through uh, through Apple TV. So I ended up not really doing the ABC thing, which was uh, unfortunate, I, I, I suppose. Uh, and it's uh, it, it's 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 a reminder that uh, that when you have affiliates, uh, so the Miami Fort Lauderdale market's interesting because we have a CBS network owned station and we have a NBC network owned station. So Premier League matches and what's CBS shown? They've shown some NWSL matches. They've never been preempted. Yet, because we have a Fox affiliate and an ABC affiliate, not network owned stations, but independently owned affiliate stations, we have seen uh, in the past uh, both MLS and uh, Bundesliga matches preempted on the Fox station. And now, part of the Bundesliga match preempted on the ABC station. It was very bizarre, Chris. Uh, they showed, I, I, I turned to the, turned it to halftime and they were showing the match on ABC, on my ABC station, WPLG, but they did not show the first half of the match. So very strange. They made a programming decision uh, and it may have been, maybe they got a lot of uh, negative uh, mail negative emails and, and, and Twitter, and they, they decided to take off the paid programming and, and show the second half of the match. But uh, So I, I had a very strange experience with the match and, and uh, ended up watching the vast majority of it on ESPN+. Plus. thought the coverage was great. I thought Kay Murray was, was wonderful, as usual, and, and Derek Ray is at the top of his game uh, always, but particularly when he calls Bundesliga, and Taylor Twelman was very, very good as the analyst. Uh, but... Uh, uh, again, I, I'm disappointed ABC is not able to persuade all their affiliates, particularly some affiliates in big markets, to show this match. And that's the thing. We, we were asking for a close game. We got a close game. Finally, right, for the first time in quite a long time. It was six goals. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dortmund going ahead, uh, up 2-0, and of course, Bayern comes back. It seemed inevitable in a way, but I mean, uh, Bayern coming back and winning it 4-2. It was entertaining to watch. It held my attention throughout the whole game. I liked the chemistry t- between Derek Ray and uh, Teller Twelman. It's different, right? We don't get to... I mean, usually when it's uh, Twelman, it's Twelman and John Champion. And we've had so much of them two together. Both of them are good in, in their different ways, but it was a nice refreshing change to have it Derek Ray and Twelman. Um, but overall, though, Kartik, I think that um, even though the coverage was great, uh, I missed the, the pre-match. The one thing I thought was interesting was that, okay, it's a big match. It's on ABC. ESPN, of, of course, has the rights to this game. But shortly after this game ended, like, what, about 15 minutes after this game ended, you had on ESPN Plus a massive game. You had Juventus against Lazio. So here's right. a perfect opportunity right at the end of the ABC broadcast to say, hey, we've, we've talked all about the, uh, the final score in this game. What a great game it's been. Now tune, tune in to ESPN Plus to watch uh, Juve against uh, Lazio kicking off in 15 minutes from now. But they didn't. And instead, uh, there was post-game. There was post-game on ESPN Plus of the, the Bundesliga game. Um, but I, but I, were, at that point, there wasn't much to say. Future, but, 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 what, but they were promoting future Bundesliga matches on ESPN Plus, which I found kind of odd when they had a whole uh, a bunch of Serie A matches, both that, that uh, 245 kickoff, as you mentioned, 
uh, and then the next morning. So I found that kind of odd, honestly. That that that. Um, and again, uh, Chris, you know, we talked about you. You reported on it this week, uh, even the the commitment level from ESPN. I, I don't want to uh, make aspersions about it, but it appears from an outsider's point of view, and there are people who talk to both you and I who believe they're more committed to the Bundesliga than they are to Serie A outwardly. So that's, this is another example of that potentially. But does it mean that they think they're not going to get the rights for Serie A? Or does it mean that they don't want to upset the Bundesliga? Because the, the Bundesliga, they've got a really tight, tight relationship with, you mean, as a broadcaster, you want to make sure that you talk about all the different properties you have. But it was... Bundesliga centric completely. Yeah, and, and it was. Uh, uh, I, I, I think they may have gotten one promo in uh, in the corner for a, for a match on ESPN two. Uh, right for uh, a, a, a a future a game Serial match. Right. Yeah, but but it was more, mostly in our face all day. You know this this uh, upcoming uh, Bundesliga match on ESPN plus. So I I, I found that odd. Uh, and, and the thing that, that, that's uh, disappointing from this perspective is every week, you know, we're going to do our, 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 the match, uh, our match of the week, uh, must, must see, and I'm picking a Serie A match again this week. I'm just a little teaser. I mean, every, uh, it seems like, at least for me, every other week the biggest match in Europe is in Serie A. It's a you know, there might be a La Liga match one week, then it's Serie A. Then it might be a Premier League match, but then the next week it's Serie A. There are more big matches in Serie A, it seems, this season than in, in, in all the other leagues. And um, they're not promoting it as much as I would expect ESPN, given that it's ESPN, to promote it, quite, quite honestly. Yeah, uh, but uh, everything else they do well. So I don't want to pick on them too much on this, but it's just this particular issue is beginning to bother me. Yeah, the, the timing isn't ideal because the, the timing, like last season, Serie A, right? It was, one, it was the must-watch must league uh, before COVID hit and then COVID struck. And then you lost a lot of that um, the momentum. You mean right before the COVID, you mean canceled everything. I think you and I were talking about, I think it was an Inter game. One of the Inter games coming up um, was going to be a massive game that everyone was anticipating. Inter-Juve was right before uh, COVID, right? That was the last game. Right, COVID. right. And that, and, and that yeah. was, so, so it, Serie A, unfortunately, I mean, as as with other leagues, but Serie A, and, and actually, so, sorry, sorry, Chris. As it turns out, if you look at the final table, that match determined the title because I think Juve won the title by three points. Yeah, and, so uh, so they, so they lost they and lost they some momentum there, and and then this season too, with the rights up in the air as far as ESPN, uh, possibly these rights might be going to Paramount Plus. We'll we'll, find, we'll talk more about that in our next segment, but the the timing of this is unfortunate. If uh, if Serie A had two or three more years left under this deal and ESPN knew that. I, I just wonder, or maybe if ESPN had, had a different type of deal that was similar to the, the Bundesliga, where it is more widespread. I mean, you go to any ESPN uh, Plus page and the first thing you see is every single match of the Bundesliga. It, the Bundesliga is all over ESPN Plus in terms of the marketing, the promotion, um, and then you have the Serie A games on, on the Sunday mornings, which, which are, I mean, great games to watch and, and great commentaries, but they're not your, I mean, when was the last time Serie A got a match on uh, ABC? It hasn't happened. I mean, and also, I should mention that the Hulu thing that I reported on earlier today, that, uh, that they now fully integrated ESPN Plus and Hulu. The first thing I saw was a Bundesliga promo. 
when I did that. So, I, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I, I and I'm actually, and people who know me know I'm a big Bundesliga fan. I'm probably considered my favorite league in Europe. But um, I just think this season, Serie A has, has been particularly good. Um, and they have the rights. And maybe they're not they're not giving it its fair due uh, by comparison. That that's uh, and and look, I'm I'm reflecting the opinion, and so are you, Chris, of people who talk to us. This isn't just our well, kind of opinion in a vacuum. It's both. It's a little bit of both, yeah. right? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I I mean, once you notice it, it is pretty glaring, and um, which is great for the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga's got to be really happy with everything that's happening, and I'm sure the Bundesliga probably works more closely together with uh, ESPN. Then Serie A does, and Serie A probably needs to pick up its game and, and start to try to promote the league more heavily. I mean, when was the last time you got an email from Serie A to talk about coverage? We get emails from the Bundesliga two to three times a week about. Yeah, yeah, you know I, mean? I don't think I've ever gotten an email from Serie A other than it, like. It feels- I feel like I wake up every morning and I have a Bundesliga email. It might be more than two or three times a week, Chris. I think yeah. we're getting one every weekday now. Yeah, and, and the only time I get emails from Serie A is when I'm. You mean investigating a, an article about rights, and I'm asking them direct questions whether or not they have the rights to. You mean who's going to get the rights? And you mean if on a journalistic uh, kind of uh, track, rather than hey, this is Serie A helping me promote uh, the league. So in fairness, I get occasional emails. I probably get one email a week from the Premier League. I probably get one email a week from La Liga. You maybe because you've covered the Premier League more, you get more than that from them. No, I, no, only get one I, a week from them. I don't even get one. <laughs> oh, okay, so I get one email a week from I got on the list that you're not on, I guess. Uh, I get one a week from La Liga. You probably get that same. That's through Relevant. Right. Um, and then I get, I think it's, maybe it's not five days, maybe it's not five a week, but I think it's three or four a week now we're getting from the Bundesliga in the media. So I, we should give them credit. Part of this is because maybe ESPN sees the institutional commitment to the American market from the Bundesliga. They push and they push and they push in this market. Whereas... Serie A has kind of like a stop-start, haphazard approach. And maybe some clubs uh, are, are, are stronger in this market and pushing stronger in this market than others. But as a league, they're not pushing as hard as they need to. Another one of the big stories from this past week, Kartik, was uh, Karen Carney, who is the co-commentator for the Chelsea-Everton game from this past weekend. And uh, Karen Carney definitely got a lot of exposure from this game on, on Monday. Um, just in terms of just the, tr- the web traffic to worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, when this game was on, there was just a huge amount of traffic coming in just to find out more information about her uh, in, in our commentator schedules and this, that, and the other. And I thought she did a really good job. I was really impressed with her uh, right off the bat talking a lot about the tactics employed by both teams and some of the tweaks made by the managers in regards to starting positions and how that evolved and how players were overlapping, etc. Um, she has done Premier League matches before, I think about two games before, where she co-commentated. But I thought it was refreshing. I thought she knew what she was doing. Uh, were you a, a fan of this one, Kartik? Well, I'm a fan of hers, period. She was one of my favorite players. Of, uh, of, of, as far as English players of the last 10 years, probably Steph Houghton, who I also like because she played, she's been the captain of Man City. And then it's Karen Carney. She's a great winger. She was good from about the age of 17 onward. And then when I've heard her talk about the game as a player, she was so intelligent in her, her, in her kind of tactical and positional awareness and her conversations that I, I knew she'd be a natural as a pundit. I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised. But yeah, love her. 
So happy she got this opportunity. Hope we hear more of her. Uh, I thought maybe it would be a little awkward her calling a Chelsea game. She played for Chelsea for a very long time. I think she may still be an active player, technically, even though Chelsea's so far, you know, they're so good right now that, that at her age, she's, she's not going to get into that team. Uh, but um, she was phenomenal. She was fantastic. And I think um, she has also really impressed on the studio shows for Premier League television. Uh, when uh, they do their studio programs, you sometimes have these kind of um, low-end uh, English pundits, former players that are starting out that aren't very analytical, aren't very critical in their analysis. And so Karen Carney has already stood out on those programs in the last year and a half. And now, uh, as a co-commentator, she, 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 she's fantastic, and I think... Uh, She's someone that uh, may eventually, and I, and I guess people who follow me on Twitter know how excited I was about this news. Uh, I was tweeting about it uh, often with, with a lot of ha- uh, pride that she was getting this choice, getting this opportunity. Um, I think she's going to get worked into the normal rotation, and she's going to be one of the top co-commentators in, in England going forward. And, and uh, uh, there were some other female co-commentators uh, that are going to, I think, uh, climb the ladder a little bit. Uh, as as we uh, uh, as we uh, evolve, uh, the thing I have to say, Chris, last point on this is, uh, Brit- England is behind the United States in this. Look, U.S. sports have been using female co-commentators and even female play-by-play voices, uh, main commentators, for a very long time. I mean, I remember as a fan of Big East basketball, or was a fan of Big East basketball from the University of Miami, was in the Big East, uh, hearing Doris Burke as the co-commentator for or what we would call the color person for UM games in the, in the late 90s. Uh, sometimes she was paired with Rob Stone, actually, ironically enough, who, who obviously is a, a big soccer guy. Um, so this is like 20 years late, going on 20 years later in the UK. Yeah, they've had some studio hosts that have been women, uh, but not primary studio hosts either. So that's uh, a... I think, yeah, it's a glass thing. I think Rebecca Lowe advanced much further by coming here than she would have if she had stayed there, quite yeah. honestly. Well, that's a good segue into our next topic. Um, but having said that, Kartik, in terms of club soccer on U.S. television, I'm not seeing the impact of women in the United States. So, so for Karen Carney, this was she was doing the world feed, so she was heard all, all the way around the world on this one. Uh, probably, actually, definitely not in the U.K., but outside of the U.K., she would have been uh, heard on, on the co-commentary. And, and this segues into the, the next topic, which is talking about uh, or getting your thoughts and my thoughts about why are there so many English voices still playing such a big part in soccer coverage in America? And, and why do you think that is? Why, why do I think that is? I think that there is a, a, a subconscious bias among a lot of American programming executives to English voices. And then there's also kind of an inadequacy uh, of American commentary to core soccer audiences, right? Core soccer audiences are either very anglicized in their preferences or they're very Latin in their preferences. And I don't think the American commentators thread that needle very well uh, either way. They, you know, they, and those are two very different approaches. There's 180 degrees maybe between uh, typical uh, uh, Latin commentary and typical uh, uh, English commentary. Right. And the needle, the, the American commentators don't thread the needle. I mean, some do. Some, some are pretty good at it. But I think it's, 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 it's a matter more of – I, I don't want to say American commentators aren't good. I mean, we can flush this out as we get into this discussion. 
I think they just maybe don't hit the preferences of one programming executives who may be predisposed to thinking English voices are more authoritative uh, or ac- voices with European accents. So if you speak English with a with a germ, uh, you know, if you're speaking English with a very Dutch accent or South African accent or, uh, or, or, or German accent, maybe you're more authoritative about the sport than than someone with an American accent. And then I think there's also American commentators maybe not being able to speak directly to those who like Latin style commentary, who, who then may listen to the to the matches in Spanish with Spanish commentary or those who like very European style commentary. OK, so, so my thoughts on this are that it shouldn't matter what uh, what accent they have or where they're from. It should be based on skill level. How good are they at their job? And and then, you mean whether they're wherever 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 they are from around the world, that should be the ones that should be hired if your budget allows. The 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 whole Latin American versus kind of the English language style, completely different. And and for the the purpose of this podcast and this segment right here, we're just focusing on the English language side. But I will have to argue with you, Kartik, about this this subconscious bias because. If you think about the American soccer, whether they're hosts or co-commentators or lead commentators, who would you rate? Who would you say are, are the top of the game? Among Americans? Correct. Well, okay, so we just talked about Taylor Twelman. I would argue he probably has a more well-rounded back, uh, knowledge of, of football across the world, and including Europe, than most British co-commentators. Okay, and, I, and, and there are guys like Stuart Robson who are very good, who do Serie A. Stuart Robson's the top English team in Steve Banyard, Serie A. So he's an exception. But I think the average Premier League co-commentator doesn't know as much about what's going on in Europe as Taylor Twelman does, even though he's an uh, American who does a lot of MLS games. I would argue maybe the same thing for Stu, Stu Holden. I think Stu Holden's very knowledgeable about European football. And I, I think you could go down the list. There are even guys like Brian Dunseth, who I think would, would do very well with some European matches, but um, there is a, a, a group of, uh, there's a lot of American fans uh, of the Premier League and of European football. They hear a guy with an American accent, they dismiss him. Uh, I, I think Kyle Martino was in that, in that Premier League studio was as good as anyone, but he uh, was an MLS player, so they dismissed him. He has less authority to them and has less knowledge to them in their mind because he has that accent. Yeah, I, I agree with you about Taylor Twelman. I agree with you about Stu Holden and uh, and also Brian Dunseth. Brian Dunseth is is a good example to me of somebody where there is that subconscious bias where he is really good. He should be calling more games as a co-commentator. He usually gets you know, on, on doing what, Real Salt Lake games or MLS games, and you hardly yeah. ever hear from him. You mean, from, from a national broadcast of Major League Soccer, he should be doing more of those. But for whatever reason, he's not picked. Um, but he should be doing more. But but outside of that, I mean, Max Bredos is somebody that, that I think both you and I uh, highly rate. But I would argue, for the most part, uh, that that's the minority. For the most part, the majority of analysts and hosts and co-commentators out there um, who happen to be American are not good enough. And I, I can go down the list, but if I just mention some, some U.S.-based English voices and people like Nigel Riacocca, uh Danny Higginbotham, Dan Thomas, John Champion, 
uh, Keith Costigan, he's not English, but you mean uh, Ian Joy, he's not English either, but but he's British, uh, even though he's you mean born in America. Derek Ray, uh, Robbie Earl, Robbie Musto, Rebecca Lowe, Mark Donaldson, Ray Hudson, etc. I mean, a lot of these people. I mean, again, some some listeners may love and or hate some of these people I mentioned, but for the most part, I think their quality level is above. The, the the vast majority of, of the Americans, and, and that's why they're hired to do the job that they, they do. In, in, in a couple of those cases, uh, I, I would uh, argue in the uh, case of uh, Danny Higginbottom and in the case of uh, John Champion and Derek Ray, they're better than people who are doing games in the UK also. Correct. So yeah. let, let's keep that in mind. I mean, and, and a few others on that list. Nigel Rio Coker is really good. He's been very good. Coco yep. Libertadores. I, I, I think... Uh, so... I, 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 I think part of the bias is you hear an English commentator on the Premier League world feed, and most of them are oh, they're okay, right? And uh, Premier League TV, Premier League studio, uh, they're okay. But when you're talking about some of the names you just mentioned, those are elite commentators, and they've been attracted to come to the U.S. Ian Dark's another one. He's not based here, but he's been attracted to come to work for an American broadcaster. John Champion was attracted to relocate here. Danny Higginbottom was attracted to relocate here. I, I would argue uh, Graham Lasso is better than most of the co-commentators that you get in the UK. And he's working for an American network. And he doesn't do games on UK television. So I, I think also we have an, a, a tendency to, to attract the best because of the quality of life, whatever other consideration with the United States, which then kind of makes it difficult for American voices maybe to... Uh, uh, to, to, to uh, um, to break through. Although I think in the kind of the role of the presenter, um, it seems like the, the, the British voices, and then you mentioned Dan Thomas, Kay Murray, I would put in there. Uh, I think uh, when Kev Egan has presented, he, he's Irish, but uh, they're, they're very, you know, Kate Abdo, et cetera, Rebecca Lowe, they're, 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 they're seem to be more natural. The British kind of um, style of not just only presentation, but the style of commentary lends itself to better studio hosting uh but there are some good americans uh, max bredos i think is at the very top um but but for better or for worse we, we you know we've lost him from soccer at times because he's been so elite right that 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 other sports have, have poached him from us uh but, but yeah I, I guess for the most part you're right particularly when it comes to studio hosts yeah and we can think about some other names too just to throw in there i mean the, the, the jamie carragher's the uh, uh Micah richards and the CBS crew, right? Peter Drury, Clive Tildesley, uh, etc. Rob Green, as far as a co-commentator. But I, you're absolutely right, Kartik, as far as um, a lot of the American broadcasters have gone ahead and said, like, hey, who can we get? Let's get some of the best of the best. Not because they're English, but because they are some of the best commentators or hosts or co-commentators out there. And a lot of these people want to move to the United States. They want, want a, a better quality of life. They want uh, more money. They want to bring the, raise their family. And, and I think John Champion's a good example of that. He saw the United States as a better opportunity for him. He could continue to work in the UK and, and uh, uh, you mean, week in, week out and be at the top of his game for the Premier League and for the Champions League and other, you know, you, you name it, basically. But he chose to come to, the, to come to the United States and to try to uh, to get to ESPN, which he did. But having said all of that, then too, it does make you wonder in terms of style. So you have two paths. 
I'm actually three paths. One path is that we've been down the road of Fox Sports and Turner Sports, where both of them together, well, separately, but but both of them together in this example, thought that the best way to go ahead and bring soccer to a U.S. audience is have American talent, American voices for the most part, and have a very American style of broadcasting world soccer. The other path is NBC Sports and CBS Sports. They've said, okay, yes, we want to have, you mean definitely an American influence, but we're, we're going to primarily show if it's European soccer, whether it's co- continental European soccer or if it's uh, the Premier League or whatever league it may be, we're going to show it uh, in a very authentic way with a very European-flavored uh, crew of talent. In between that third row, that third path, I think you have ESPN, which ESPN says, okay, we're going to combine both. We're going to have the American influence of the the Taylor Twelmans and uh, Julie Foudy's and, um, and, and others, and then we're going to combine that with a European approach, which would be the John Champions, Don, Dan Thomas, etc., I'm going to disagree with you there. I think NBC and CBS have gone with a British approach, whereas ESPN has gone with a mixed American and European approach. The number of non-British European voices on ESPN is far greater than on NBC or CBS. Well, well, as a percentage of British is still European, Kartik. (laughs) No, 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 no. But they're British. No, no. But specifically British, they would not bring on. Someone with a heavy uh, with with a with a heavy knowledge, I think, of, of uh, a German accent or Dutch accent, or a guy like Frank LeBouf would not find his way into the CBS or NBC studios. Well, so it, I, I think that there's a de- definitive difference. Well, it's funny too because when Fox has done the World Cup and they and they've gone for a heavy European influence to try to bring it in, to try to manufacture it, they've gone with a. Augustus Hiddink or somebody like that that does have a more of a heavier uh, European accent that didn't didn't or integrate well into their yeah. coverage, but um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, no, you're right, you're right. In terms of kind of the ESPN's gone more for a uh, more for European, where NBC's gone for more of a strictly um, British. CBS for for the most part too is pretty much strictly uh, British, other than you mean. Uh, Rafa Honigstein and Guillaume Balaguer and, and, and others, etc. Uh, Peter Schmeichel, I guess, in, in a way, too. I, I just think it's interesting. My, my take on why I believe there are so few good American soccer analysts on TV is, and, and I'm speaking just of analysts here, is that um, part of it is there's, there's not that many reps available. So if you have most of the you mean, Premier League, uh, and the Bundesliga and, and other leagues from around the world. And mostly, for the most part, you've got Brits or English or uh, Europeans doing that, that analysis of those leagues. There's not a lot of opportunities. And then you look at Major League Soccer. And, and what I'm talking about here, too, is national coverage. So I'm not talking about your local Fox Sports Regional or... Uh, you Although mean- I have to say, Chris, uh, just personal experience today, I'm having very, a lot of trouble securing commentators for this weekend's kickoff games in the league I work for uh, because there's just – and the, the only commentators on often either have a, a British accent or, 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 or a Latin accent. And I'm looking for like a neutral American uh, accent to balance out one or the other and I can't. So is that because they're they're, uh, not available because they're already with somebody else, or there's just not that many available to choose from? There's just not that many available who are willing to take kind of low-pay, 
who are who are probably good enough. And then some are contracted already to USL. But um, yeah, I mean, like, so for 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 this league. And we're kicking off on Saturday. I mean, uh, every commentator we have is either going to be Latin or British. And I was, I was consciously. So this is me overcompensating. Maybe I was consciously trying to avoid that. But that's where we're going, right? Every commentator yeah. is going to be British, or it's going to be from Latin America. And that's my point: is is that there's not a lot of them available. Um, if they are available, it's somebody that's doing multi sports where they're doing something like 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 Jonathan Yardley, who's doing a lot of baseball. Uh, and does soccer, or someone like um, Mark Followill, who's doing I don't know basketball, I think it is, and and, and soccer yeah. and, and other sports. So it's somebody that has, and, and sometimes with not to pick on Jonathan Yardley, but sometimes listening to his soccer commentary, it sounds like he's do, he's calling a baseball game. Just the, the the tone of his voice and just the way he's announcing the game, and it, and for the soccer audience, it's kind of a. I mean, it 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 doesn't uh, it doesn't seem as seamless as it should be. It doesn't seem as good as it should be. And and that's the thing, though, too, Kartik. I think with this is that um, you look at Major League Soccer. I mean, the end of the regular season was, I think, what, November 10th, I think it was? The season ended. By the time it picks up again in April, April 16th, it's almost six months. So if you're a, a commentator or an analyst in the U.S. and most of the coverage you do is Major League Soccer, um I mean, you got no work for six months. Essentially, what are you doing? I mean, so it is one of those things that they're if they're not able to get jobs for at ESPN or CBS or NBC Sports, and uh, or, I mean Fox is not hiring. What do you do? I mean, so I think part of it is that there's there isn't enough opportunities, and if there's not enough opportunities, it's really hard to take somebody and develop them and get them better to be a top-level commentator. And probably a, a good example of that, to me, is Keith Costigan. Keith started off with very little experience as a commentator and was doing reps and reps and reps doing Europa League doing, and then rose to doing the Bundesliga for Fox um, and, and now is mostly doing Liga MX for Fox. But he went from somebody with very little experience and gaining that experience to a really top-level commentator in the U.S. And um, that's a rare opportunity, though. There's a lot of other commentators that don't get that opportunity to call that many games at, at a high level. So it's, it's a couple of different things happening at the same time. And um, unfortunately, at the end of the day, as long as this keeps on going on where the, the top broadcasters continue to hire the best talent from wherever they are, a lot of them are not American, and the level and quality level of the American soccer analyst is is not going to increase. Especially when you, you know, Alexia Lalas has been at Fox now for how many years, um, and it's likely that he'll be there for many, many more. There's not a lot of uh, rotation either. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously Lalas was at ESPN for many, many years before that, so. Uh, there's there, you're right. There's not a lot of rotation. There's not a whole lot of new faces, uh, and some of the new faces that come in, they don't maybe they don't get the reps. Maybe they're not uh, seasoned enough. Uh, and I will tell you quite frankly from my own uh, experience because I've just told you. Look, I mean, I I, I I accepted. I think most a lot of our listeners saw. I accepted the job with a with a with a startup uh, amateur league this week, uh, and, and at the same time, I'm I'm still. You know, writing professionally for, for World Soccer Talk and other sites, there was a lot of double dipping in soccer in this country because there hasn't been a lot of 
there hasn't been enough money for people to secure full-time jobs. So a lot of the commentators, Chris, and I can put myself in this, this thing when I used to commentate. Now I'm at the point where because I want to be on the front office side and the writing and the written side, I don't want to do commentary anymore, which is why, for example, for this league, the first thing was asked was, well, will you commentate on the games? No. I, I need to find commentators. Uh, but I think what you have is a lot of people, like you mentioned Keith Costigan. He's a really good coach also. Mm-hmm. So he spent a lot of his time coaching and also commentating. You know, you've had people like Kobe Jones and Jovan Karofsky rotate through that Fox studio in L.A., and they've got other jobs in soccer at the same time. Uh, and and uh, I know for, for many years, Kyle Martino had other things he was doing. Uh, he, when, when he went to NBC, he became full-time, but he was doing other things um, when he was at Fox. Uh, and they, that might be why he didn't get the reps. And then once he got to NBC, he got really good, as, as we've talked about. But I think that there are very few in the soccer business that get the full-time, full-paying gig. And even when they do, like Eric Winalda did at Fox, I, I can speak to this firsthand because I was involved in, in luring him out of broadcasting into coaching when I was uh, with the NASL. I was one of the people who, 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 who pushed him to join our league. Um, and there's always a temptation to, 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 to coach at mm-hmm. the same time. So I think... Uh, there's there, there's that right. There there are very few that have gotten full time jobs as co commentators who are uh, who are Americans, right? Yeah. And you always have to coach, or you have to be on the front office side. Like I've just given my own scenario where I'm uh, I've been on I've been in and out of the front office side now for for uh, over a decade. Uh, even though I've tried to be a soccer writer and a soccer commentator, also I uh, I've double dipped a lot, and I've spent. Uh, as much time doing front office work as I have doing commentary or writing. So uh, that's part of it, I think, for American commentators. And we just don't have enough money in, in, in the sport in this country. Now, the hope is, because the World Cup is coming again, that will change things. It's possible. But also the U.S. not qualifying for the last World Cup didn't help. We saw uh, publications pull out, like 442, pull out of this country, right? And we mm-hmm. saw um, other, other kind of sponsor money free up, so or, or freeze up. So I think that's a big part of it. However, let me also give you the flip side of this. And you and I have talked to plenty of commentators based in the UK, so we know this. Also in the UK, they work you to a bone if you're a commentator or a co-commentator. You are doing three or four matches a week. So naturally, you get kind of good and you get the reps in because they don't just hire you on a freelance basis like you do here. Hey, uh, there's this one game in Tijuana is playing, uh, uh, is playing, uh, Chivas. We're going to have you commentated off a monitor. It's not like right. that. You know, they're sending you out on the road or you're at the studio, whether it's the, 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 the uh, I'm blanking on the name of the company, but the, the company in Shepherd's Bush or the IMG studios, which is a little in another part of London, you're there constantly. So I think that's a big part of it. I mean, reps. I, so Chris, actually, I think- as we're having this conversation, you said reps at the beginning. I think that's it. I think you're right. Well, I think part of it, though, too, is that the structure or the lack of a soccer pyramids in the U.S. actually hurts that side of the business. Because if you're based in, in London, for example, and you're a commentator uh, and you're someone like, uh, well, you're based in Bournemouth, you're, you're Gary Taphouse. You do yeah. uh, one to two Premier League matches a weekend and then you might do a championship game midweek and then you're doing a Europa League game. And then you're doing, um, you mean, maybe, uh, again, the weekend the, the weekend starts again. So you, you're probably doing uh, three to five, well, th- three to four games a week. 
And because of based where you are, which is a lot of the production studios, uh, I mean, before COVID, you, you probably would be traveling. You'd be traveling to Germany or to Eastern Europe or wherever it would be to announce the game. The Premier League, you'd be going from stadium to stadium doing the games. In the US, though, I mean, you've got Major League Soccer and you don't have many games uh, available on national television. Uh, and you have your Fox crew that's set. You've got your ESPN crew that's set. You've got your Univision crew that's set. Not much changing there. Uh, you don't have, you mean, all these games televised to a global audience like the Premier League is. And there's, you mean, yes, there's USL, but there's, and there's uh, lower division soccer, but it hasn't developed yet enough. And I guess the country being so large, uh, for somebody to go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to uh, call a game in Atlanta. And then a couple of days later, I'm going to be in New Mexico to call a game or wherever it may be. So there's a lot of disadvantages as far as kind of and, how this country set up. And USL only has one guy they do that with where they fly him around. Um, the rest of them are all based out of Fort Lauderdale or, you know, there's some commentators that do it from the stadiums, but most of them are based out of Fort Lauderdale and call matches off of monitors. Uh, so, and it's the same thing with NWSL, right? NWSL has has genuinely ge- generally one crew <laughs> that they they fly around. Uh, you know, it's a Jen Hildreth, Ali Wagner crew, and they, they, they and they've gone from network to network with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with that league, but um, the rest of them are all calling it again out of the same studio in the Fort Lauderdale area by the Fort Lauderdale airport. Um, and so they can fly commentators in and out. So there's also this calling of matches off monitors, although. They do it in the UK and they do it in Germany and you don't notice it's not as noticeable, which is another thing. Maybe maybe they just do a better job of presenting that way. Yeah. In those countries. Well, yeah, depending on which league. I mean, so the Premier League, for the most part, uh, all those commentators are at the games in Germany. All those all those commentators, uh, except for maybe one game a week are calling it from a studio. But you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell. And actually, I you don't know be, that. before I knew that, I was like, I mean, once I found out, I was like about the the, the German league. I was like, wow, they do just a really good job. Uh, it feels like they're there. But the other two more things, Kartik, before we move on to the next segment. First up is that um, with a lot of the, a lot of the, these games now moving to streaming, uh, I think there's less opportunities for you mean uh, commentators and co-commentators because most companies these days are using the world feed. And the world feed oftentimes comes out of London or or from or Miami uh, in some instances, depending where what what league you're uh, focused on. But the second thing is is in the last five years, can you think of anyone who's really kind of uh, rose to fame or has really been kind of a shooting star in terms of an American that has gone from practically nothing to like really, really impressing you and coming out of the blue and doing a good job uh, at a high level that's an American. Can you think of any? No. In fact, I think all the names I mentioned to you, Dunseth, Holden, Twil- Twelman, Bredos, they, and the few others I mentioned that were about Martino, they were all around five years ago. They were all around seven years ago. Uh, the, the, uh, wow! Is there anyone? I, I, the only, I don't know. The only one I can think of, and and I was so impressed with his debut, and I was so disappointed when he decided to go off and do something different. Uh, which, which, like you mentioned too, like when when uh, commentators or co-commentators uh, hear about a coaching job, oftentimes they leave, and that person was Landon Donovan, 
And I thought Landon oh, right, Donovan right, right, of course, yeah. with JP Della Camera when they did some games, I think it was Gold Cup games, I think it was, or US games. Landon was great. He was fantastic. I'm like, wow, what a great chemistry the two of them have together. He's going places. He's going to be the World Cup commentator. And I think Fox was planning on having him be involved in the World Cup. And then he got the opportunity to, to work closely with, uh, with so- a soccer club in San Diego. And the rest, the, <clears throat> the rest is history. I mean, he's not going to be doing any, any uh, co-commentating anytime soon. But that's the only one I can think of in the last five years or so that, that really, in a very short amount of time, very uh, too short, uh, really rocketed to fame and then just, just uh, uh, dived out of there, basically. But, yeah, and, and it seems like there's now that generation of players uh, Holden got an early start because he got uh, Holden and Twelman got early. Yeah, well, actually, and, and Martino, Martino, Holden, and Twelman all got early starts because they got injured and their careers ended uh, prematurely. Uh, but that generation of players that they were part of, and Twelman's a little older than the other two, um, but uh, that generation has not produced any other commentators of note, which is really striking. Now that I think about it, if I think about the national team from that era which you could argue was the best national team the U.S. has had. Uh, now, obviously, 2002 went further, but, but you could argue that, that I would argue the team circa two, 2009 to 2013 consistently, uh, uh, starting with that Confederations Cup run in, in 2009, uh, were, were probably better. Or, um, they, none, of them have, none of those guys have, have, have shot at the commentary. I think also the, the and I have to mention this, the rapid expansion of both MLS and USL has led to more coaching jobs coming open. So right. even when you think a guy like Brad Friedel is going to start maybe developing as a commentator, he got some... Uh, he tried. He did, yeah, he did some World Feed matches, actually, in, yep. in, in, in Premier League World Feed. Then he gets a coaching job. Then he gets something at U.S. Soccer. Brian McBride seems to be developing. Then he gets hired by U.S. Soccer. Uh, we even had it with Kate Markgraf, who was one of my favorite commentators on the women's side. Uh, I thought, actually, she was probably maybe the best commentator on the women's side, in my opinion. And then she gets hired by U.S. Soccer, and she's now the technical director or general manager, whatever term they use. She's technical director, mm-hmm. in reality, for the women's program. So it's like that's also happening a lot. Like, I guess I guess, I guess one other name, one last name before we move on, and that's uh, Marisa Du, Moe Du. And, and that's somebody who I think uh, has improved a lot. And we saw that on TNT. We've seen that on Fox. But my concern there is if you're uh, Marisa Du, what are you doing when you're not commentating games? Because I mean, the last MLS game was, you know, by the time the season starts, almost six months ago. I, I think he did one game. Uh, you, you might have done the MLS Cup final, maybe. And, and, and I think he did one US game. But... I mean, what are you doing outside of that? I mean, there's probably he's probably looking for opportunities, or I mean, maybe he's under contract with Fox, uh, but there's not much out there. We don't see him that uh, that often, so for the most part, like he's player. forgotten. So this is the thing about being contracted to a network. It's just like a player. So MLS wisely this season realized because they were because of COVID, their season, uh, as we you mentioned, ended November, and it's not kicking off until. Two, two and a half months later, I guess, or two, over two months later than it did last year, there were a bunch of MLS players who went out on loan. But we don't see that with commentators, right? If they're contracted to a network, um, they're kind of just sitting and collecting a paycheck. And I, I think it, 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 it's frustrating for a guy like Adu who's young that maybe he could have gone and commentated on 
maybe he could have been loaned to ESPN and they could have thrown him on an Ervadesi match or, or, or a Serie A match or something. Uh, but but that's that's another problem. Again, it comes back to reps. And if you if you sign with a network that doesn't have anything, and this was actually you know I think a little bit of a concern when ESPN was losing a lot of rights, and obviously Lawless at that point jumped to Fox. Was that what happens with Twelman and all the other ESPN talent? Uh, Seb Salazar was coming into his own at that time. What happens to all these guys when they don't have anything to do but MLS? And then, as it turns out, ESPN started collecting rights again. But there, yeah. there is that problem when you lose rights and you've signed a contract with a with a network. And so, if that's the case with Edu, that's probably going to inhibit his development as a commentator. Honestly, true. But then, Kartik, I, I think of some names, and I think of uh, there. Are- well, not, not double dipping, but they are calling other sports other than soccer. So they've made a conscious effort to say soccer's not enough. I need to do more because uh, it's not. Uh, I'm probably not earning my keep just doing soccer because there's so few games. If I'm focusing on MLS, and the three examples I can think of: uh, Kevin Egan, who this week joined the World Wrestling Entertainment Network and is going to be doing WWE. Uh, Ian Joy, who, in addition to, of course, covering NYCFC and working for CBS uh, Sports HQ, is doing has his own show. He's doing talking about baseball, the Yankees. Uh, he's on the Yes Network. So he's got his own show there. It's a sports show. You've got Taylor Twellman, who is doing soccer, of course, from time to time. But for the most part, most of the time, he's doing Sports Nation. So he's you mean talking and, and watching basketball games and other sports and staying on top of that. So, and this is only in the last probably six months that we've seen a change where there is not there is not enough work out there. There's not enough soccer coverage out there that's original to necessitate uh, necessitate having these guys. Um, you mean doing a lot of soccer? It just isn't there because again, a lot of it is the world feed. So, if it's the Bundesliga. I mean, other than this past weekend for a De Classica, which happens like, what, twice a season. Other than that, it's, okay, it's uh, Phil Bonney, it's um, Kevin Hatchard, it's uh, Derek Gray, who's a, a freelancer. I mean, so there, there aren't that op- many opportunities available. At the end of the day, I think it does make the American soccer analyst not as good as the competition because the competition is doing more games. Uh, going back to our, our original point about reps. All right, Kartik, let's move on because we, we we've definitely spent a lot of time on this topic and it's been a good topic to talk about because it's it's one that we've wanted to talk about for quite some time. But let's move on to uh, TV streaming news and, and I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, Chris, ESPN's uh, Plus's rights to Serie A end this season as we've talked about a lot on the show and you've written a lot about. After a round of negotiations for the 21-22 through... Uh, uh, 23-24 right cycle with uh, top broadcasters. The process has completed a second round of bidding that had a deadline Wednesday, March 10th, which was uh, the day, which is the day we we're recording. By the way, uh, a source has told World Soccer Talk that ESPN Plus is expected to lose Serie A to Paramount Plus, but it's uh, wide open. Uh, meanwhile, Disney's integration oh, of uh, of uh, ESPN Plus into Hulu is complete. You can now watch ESPN Plus soccer content on either ESPN Plus or Hulu. Note this applies only to ESPN Plus content. You cannot watch 
uh, linear ESPN television or ESPN3 broadcast, which is the German Cup in particular, on Hulu. A uh, quick note on this Paramount Plus ESPN thing, Chris. Again, I'm surprised, and I know we go through this every week. Uh, if you talk about uh, this, people get very unhappy. They get upset about the potential of rights moving to another network. And then even uh, that last bit about Hulu, which uh, I reported earlier today, I reported something about Paramount Plus minutes later, or, or a couple, you know, maybe like a half an hour later, I got far more engagement. I got like 10 times as much engagement on the ESPN Hulu uh, tweet than on the Paramount Plus CBS tweet, even though, quite frankly, the CBS uh, Paramount Plus tweet was probably as consequential. So uh, it, it's, it's a... It's something the, uh, the 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 soccer viewing community and the people on social media and the people who listen to the podcast have a definite preference for ESPN over other networks. Yeah, it's gotten to the point where I, I could run a story that says that ESPN Plus has acquired the rights to Tiddlywinks. And people, and people yeah. even if they didn't know what it was, they were like, oh, my God, ESPN Plus is so much is so much greater than all the other streaming networks out there. Great value for the money. I'm, I'm so excited. And, and it, it, we joke, but it has gotten to that point. The thing with the Serie A is that, you mean, until we know who has acquired the rights uh, in terms of the speculation, in terms of the rumors, in terms of the, the things that we're hearing, there's no guarantee. And I think at this stage, right now, um, post-COVID in terms of, uh, you mean, now the vaccine is available and things are looking more positive for the future, uh, leagues worldwide, especially during the, the rights acquisition uh, time of now, are looking for the most amount of money. So if you're Paramount Plus and you come in with the highest bid, it's very likely you get it. Same thing for ESPN Plus. If ESPN Plus says, hey, we're going to renew the rights and we're offering uh, more than Paramount Plus. Okay, Paramount uh, ESPN Plus, congratulations. Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, if they say, hey, we want to get into this sports stuff. Life sports is where it's at. People are going crazy over it. Apple, we have more money than Amazon. And this is a, a drop in the bucket. We're going to get the Serie A rights. Who knows <laughs> at the end of the day, because it is a closed bidding system. Uh, from my sources, I have heard that uh, ESPN is expected to lose to Paramount Plus. But again, until those final bids are submitted and Serie A gets a chance to review those and consider them, uh, we might find out uh, by the time this podcast is, is a few days old that uh, we know who will have the rights, or it might take longer. Uh, we will have to wait and see. But it is an exciting time, uh, and it is a soccer streaming wars out there. And uh, I think at the end of the day, it's whoever's bidding the most. And the same thing goes for the Premier League. If uh, somebody comes in, Amazon says, okay, Amazon in the US, in the US says, okay, we're, we're going to bid big time for the Premier League rights. Uh, if you bid the most amount of money, I think congratulations, you've got it. And it's not so much about reach as much anymore, about the TV networks, because the clubs, having lost all this money from uh, the coronavirus, not having fans in the stadium, uh, lower uh, sponsorship, etc. Same thing with Major League Soccer. I think everyone at this point is, we need the money. So expect big changes. Don't expect... Uh, uh, NBC and other uh, broadcasters to continue what they're doing and uh, having the, the, the TV, which is a big plus, but it's not the most important thing at this stage. Now, Kartik, speaking of ESPN Plus, you mentioned that um, some news that came out in the last few days 
is that uh, the host of the Euro 2020 coverage this summer is going to be Reese Davis. And this is somebody that you know very well. I don't know. I mean, so so when I heard this news, I, kn- I knew that he did college football. I don't watch college sports. I don't watch uh, NFL, etc. So I, I don't watch uh, Sports Center. I, I watch 100% soccer, soccer, soccer. So I know the name. And, and I asked the question on Twitter. I said, hey, you mean, does this guy know soccer? And both you and some of the other journalists uh, in the business said, he's a pro. You mean, he'll get it. Don't worry about it. He's, he's going to be fine. Kartik, should I be worried? Uh, no, because uh, first off, when I, uh, and it was buried in a press release about two weeks ago that he was going to do the Euro. So I, I picked up on it uh, and, and tweeted it. And there were a bunch of excited fans, actually. People who are cross, crossover fans were like, oh, yeah, this, this guy's like a big dog. He's a top dog at ESPN. Uh, Mike Tirico is gone, right? He's at NBC now. Bob Lee is gone. Those were the guys who did big tournaments for ESPN in the past that were mainstream sports guys that they would bring into soccer. Reese Davis has done soccer. Remember, he did the 2009 Confederations Cup, the tournament the U.S. did so well in. Um, and, the, the tournament the U.S. made the finals in, remember they did. Well, they they kind of snuck out of the group. And, but that's and, the thing, and, though, uh, to Kartik. So uh, when I read that in the press release, I was like, I, I don't even remember him doing it. He, yeah, he, he did that, and he did the Euros in 2008. I don't um, remember that either. Yeah, I mean, I remember the, the tournament, but I, I don't remember him standing out. Yeah, he was the host for the Euros in eight and Confed in nine. And then I thought it was actually kind of cruel because he had done these two soccer tournaments in a row when ESPN went a different direction for the 2010 World Cup. Now, they brought Chris Fowler in also in the 2010 World Cup, uh, who's the, who had been the top college football guy, and Reese Davis was the second college football guy. They've since swapped. Davis is the top college football guy. Fowler now is a, is a commentator at, 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 at game sites. He doesn't do studio anymore. Uh, Davis eclipsed him. Fowler, uh, for those who don't know, is a big soccer fan. He's a huge Chelsea fan. Uh, but the opportunity has not, uh, because he's also their lead tennis commentator, yep. and Wimbledon always conflicts with any summer tournament, right? And the French Open conflicts. I mean, so because of Wimbledon, he, he can't do these tournaments. So... I think Chris Fowler would have been the guy, right? And he would be natural, may have a little bit of a, a Chelsea. He may know more about the Premier League than, than the other leagues because he's a big Chelsea fan. Uh, in fact, I've even seen Chris Fowler uh, show, uh, take pictures, uh, have uh, selfies of himself at Stamford Bridge during the college sports offseason. So, you know, he, he goes to games even. He goes yeah. to London. Um, but I think because he's not available, Reese Davis is probably the biggest ESPN mainstream name that may have some uh, – passing knowledge of soccer that they can put in there i think he'll do okay i'm actually curious to see because you, you think you're thinking they're going to need three studio hosts and um well I, i'm wondering who the other two will be well they'll rotate yeah which actually i'll get to that in a second because um what i'm hearing from my sources is that for espn's coverage of euro 2020 most of most of it if not all of it is going to be done for bristol connecticut so in the past, oh. for the the other Euros tournaments, we've had most of the crew go to, whether it's to France or, or to uh, Poland or Ukraine, etc., and have done the tournaments there with uh, a studio set up and everything. But what I'm hearing is, is that uh, most, if not all, of the coverage is going to be, including the commentators, is going to be done from Bristol, Connecticut. So with that, I mean, Reese Davis, as somebody that's you know, based there doing the coverage, 
Um, Dan Thomas is also doing ESPN FC, but then uh, Kay Murray's pregnant, uh, so she's probably going to be out for a while on maternity leave. Um, but they could put some, somebody else in, right? I'm sure there's um, some other people within ESPN that uh, Seb Salazar could be somebody yeah, that, that they, they could pull in and say, okay, let's go ahead and between the three of us, between Reese Davis, Dan Thomas, and Sa- Seb Salazar, and, and maybe there's, there's another person too that they can kind of rotate a little bit just to uh, provide some some coverage. And, and Seb Salazar did their Women's World Cup studio. They didn't have the rights. Remember, the, the, the Fox had the yeah. tournament. But Salazar hosted their studio program, which they did, I want to say, a couple times a week uh, from Bristol. So he has had some, some experience hosting summer tournaments. Uh, when I think back at previous Euros, obviously, uh, Bob Lee, Mike Tirico, Steve Bauer was the other name they brought in last time when they were in Paris. 2012 was Bob Lee, Rebecca Lowe, and was that it? Uh, yeah, I think so. And then 2008, I think, was, was Bob Lee and Reese Davis. So... Uh, they, uh, they're going to probably, because it's an expanded Euro, so I, I mentioned 8 and 12, they had two studio hosts. Um, but 16, they had three, because remember, it's a bigger tournament now. And, I, and between COVID and the fact that UEFA is insisting on having this thing in however many different countries, uh, I, it probably is a smart decision to base everything in Bristol. But let's see if that limits who they have. Now, uh, the other thing is that I would expect them to... Uh, to bring uh, a, a, a Stu Robson caliber uh, co-commentator to Bristol for the summer, and, and guys like that uh, who, who, who yep. we've seen. Uh, they've just hired Alessandro uh, Del, Del Piero, which is very exciting hiring, by the way, uh, just this past week, has joined ESPN FC. I would expect maybe that's what the Euros also in mind. Maybe he'll be a, a co-commentator for Euro matches. So, uh, and Jurgen Klinsmann yep. uh, also. So they ha- they have people now that they're not gonna now that you're giving me this information or giving the listeners this information that they're gonna do it out of Bristol. I think they may be able to consolidate a lot of uh, uh, co-commentators and commentators there might be okay. Yeah, and they have enough uh, talent that works on the ESPN FC alone to go ahead and kind of spread out and do a lot of the the co-commentary. You mean Craig Burley, Mark Donaldson, uh, Ross Dyer from time to time to time. You can go down the list. There's a lot of uh, individuals that are available uh, that they can leverage to do a lot of the co-commentary and, and the lead commentators. Of course, John Champion as probably the lead commentator. So it sounds like, and especially with the Reese Davis hire, it, it, it doesn't sound like they're going to go big as we thought originally. We thought they would have done. Yeah, and also I think that there's there's always the possibility uh, that they will have people that we're familiar with calling leagues in Europe that they can bring. I mentioned Stu Robson; they've done that before, uh, and he comes to Bristol ever so often. International coming into international break, I'm sure he'll be in the Bristol studio. Uh, with Dan Thomas and company, yeah. uh, there are people like him who are co-commentators that I think they might be able to bring over from Europe for the tournament. Yeah, plus plus virtual too. I mean, we can get uh, a Sidlow or a, uh, you mean um, Frank LeBeouf or I mean, there's so much talent yeah. available that they can go ahead and do have them be kind of a half-time guest uh, virtually through you know, Zoom or whatever it is um, to to bring them in to get to add that high-level analysis. All right, Kartik, let's move on. Uh, we're still in the news segment. One last news item, and that is that um, Major League Soccer has announced their TV schedule for the first couple of weeks of the 2021 season. The good news is that among its highlights of the opening weekend, there will be games across ABC, Fox, and Unamas. So uh, going with the three big ones there, 
The bad news is is that MLS continue, continues its fixation on the LA teams. So opening weekend, we have the LAFC home game that's on Fox, and then the LA Galaxy game on ABC. Now, the new season will begin on Friday, April 16th, with Houston against San Jose on ESPN Plus at 8 p.m. Eastern. All right, Kartik, moving on to TV ratings. Uh, two big ones from this past weekend. The Manchester Derby, NBCSN, 762,000 viewers. And then Bayern Munich against Dortmund on ABC, 576,000 viewers for that. I have a, a, a reader comment, and this is from Gene Anthony. Uh, Gene says, hey, guys, I wanted to share some TV ratings information I came across from this past weekend. The Bayern Dortmund game on ABC rated uh, very uh, uh, comparatively with two college basketball games on CBS over the air, 579,000 viewers, and Fox over the air, 561,000 viewers. Both games aired at noon Eastern. I think this is a great that the Bundesliga was able to match a major U.S. sports in ratings and feel this was a, a big step forward for the league and the sport. Do you guys feel this is a good ratings comparison for the Bundesliga and soccer, or am I being too bullish about these numbers? Oh, let me give you a little tidbit to follow up on your first news item, Chris, which is because these ratings for college basketball over the air on CBS have been going down recently. Uh, there is some informed speculation that if Paramount Plus does secure uh, Serie A rights, that we might see a few more Serie A matches on CBS over the air, particularly at this time of the year, than we would have in the past if they had gotten some so- sort of soccer rights. So, yes, you should be bullish is – is uh, is the answer, and uh, there might be greater implications in this. I, ha- I have an informed source who has told me that about that specifically, that the college basketball ratings have been going down, and maybe CBS would be tempted on some of these weekends to take that late Saturday or Sunday Serie A kickoff that is you know, a really good match normally um, and, and throw that over the air. And not, not, not every week. I'm saying maybe four times a year, but previously we would have thought it would be an exclusive like CBS Sports Network Paramount Plus property, and that because the soccer ratings were beginning to uh, on over the air are beginning to to equate to college basketball ratings, they may they may take the chance and do that. So yes, you have every right to be very bullish. In fact, people are talking about it. I, th- I thought the numbers were higher than I expected. I think I predicted yeah. uh, three hundred fifty thousand people to watch the yeah. uh, De Classico on ABC. It was five seventy six. I was also surprised by the the Manchester derby. I mean, seven hundred sixty two thousand viewers for this. Of course, uh, it always helps when Manchester United are doing well in terms of. I mean, the number one sports team, soccer team in this country on the English language side. Um, so big numbers there. Listener mailbag. First up is JP. JP says, it's been announced that ESPN landed part of the NHL contract for the next seven years. Another partner yet to be announced. Could it be NBC, Fox, etc.? Biggest news, they have uh, exclusive streaming rights. That makes me think that NBC will be out of the uh, NHL. It's very likely that they'll be out of the NHL since NBCSN is going away and won't be able to use Peacock to stream NHL. Likely Fox is the other partner. Uh, No standalone streaming service outside of the authenticating FS1, FS2 broadcast on Fox Sports Go. Does this change the Premier League's thinking in regards to NBC? 
And uh, JP, the answer is yes. And and let me read a quote here. This is uh, from the business press and Comcast uh, Corporation chairman. Of course, uh, NBC is owned by Comcast. Uh, Comcast uh, chairman and CEO Brian Roberts. Uh, this is before the news about the NHL. He warned attendees of a Morgan Stanley conference call that the company's continued focus on retaining NFL rights could lead to tough decisions elsewhere in its sports right portfolio. Now, those tough decisions elsewhere would have been NHL and also the Premier League. And I think it was difficult. I think Comcast was painting the picture. It'd be very difficult to uh, continue with NFL and spending tons of money on that, as well as NHL and the Premier League, hinting that uh, possibly it could be the Premier League. Well, we thought that it could be the Premier League that uh, would be cast aside. But with uh, ESPN getting the deal with the NHL for the next seven years, uh, now it's more probable that... uh, NBC and Comcast will try their best to renew those Premier League rights because yes, NFL, yeah, that's that's a must-have. But losing NHL and possibly renewing the Premier League rights, that's now more likely. So, yeah, I, I, you agree, Kartik? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's probably more likely, but there there is a feeling that the NFL rights. Uh, the, the number is escalating, and the, the background on this, if, if you're if you're a little younger, is that there was a ten year period or eight, eight or nine year period where NBC lost NFL rights, and they didn't have as good a golf package as CBS, and they, they were out of college basketball by that time completely. When I was a kid, NBC was big in college basketball. Believe it or not, that's now they haven't covered college basketball for thirty years now, but. Uh, and they had lost the NBA rights. That's right. During that period, they lost the NBA rights to, to ABC. And so they were really, really hurting. And Dick Ebersol had thought that it was a good strategy, the, the longtime president of NBC Sports, not to overpay for properties. But then they realized, OK, that applied to Major League Baseball, which they also lost in that period. They lost I think baseball after like the 97 or 98 season, they lost the NFL after the 97 season. They lost the NBA after the uh, 2000, 2001 season. Um, It wasn't good to overpay for properties, but then they ended up with nothing. Basically they had nothing other than Notre Dame football in terms of American sports. They still had Wimbledon at that time, actually, and the French open, uh, but they, uh, they were really hurting. They didn't have any soccer. They had bid on the world cup actually uh, famously in this period and had won the bidding, and uh, I don't want to get too deep into it, but had, had, had been stabbed in the back during this period, and ESPN retained the rights. ESPN and ABC retained the rights. But NBC had actually then bid on the World Cup, thinking that would be comparable to their Olympic coverage. So I think once they got the NFL back and they got a different package, which was a Sunday night package, they vowed never to lose it again. So that's the danger. If the Premier League is demanding too much money in the U.S., or the, or the rights are or, or the, the bidding gets uh, out of hand because somebody comes in, and I don't know who that someone could be. Could be Paramount Plus. It could be Discovery, as we've speculated. It could be Amazon. Uh, maybe it's nobody, right? Maybe NBC just retains it, and because their ownership of Sky, Comcast's ownership of Sky works in their favor, mm-hmm. um, they could be in trouble. So now, Chris, comes the big question. You just mentioned with the likes of Serie A, those leagues are just looking for the most, most money that they can get. Yep. The Premier League, on the other hand, 
it's my uh, feeling from talking to people will be looking for the best coverage fit as well. Now, they're not going to take a, a lot less money from anyone, but they're looking for the best coverage fit. Do they think NBC continues to provide that, particularly with the NHL out of the way? Maybe it helps them in that regard. So I think that's the big question. That's the key question. Yeah, the Premier League public facing, if you ask them in an interview, they would say, yes, reach is most important. I think privately, they're saying no. Privately, they're saying we need to bring in as much money as possible to cover the losses at the same time to keep these big clubs happy. The Man United's, the Liverpool's, uh, these clubs that are talking about breaking away and forming a European Super League. And we need to show them that the Premier League is, is the, the top dog and bring in as much money as possible. I think that that's that privately the club chairman uh, at these 20 clubs are are saying like, hey, we need more money. This is in order for us to grow and and to prosper and to get all these big players. We need more money. That's what I think. But but looking at the possible outlook here, Kartik, if NBC Sports does get a chance, uh, does renew the rights to the Premier League for another three years. And then if Paramount Plus finds a way to go ahead and gets the Serie A rights for the next three years, where does that leave ESPN Plus? Because ESPN Plus, yes, they have, have the Bundesliga. Yes, they have Major League Soccer. Um, yes, they have... You know I mean? And then you go down the list. There are a lot of smaller properties. But, Scottish but League, Chris, Belgian League. So what, re- what happens to ESPN Plus? You've reported previously, and I know the deal hasn't gotten done yet, but we've reported previously on what might happen to ESPN+. And if that happens, then I think they're fine. I'm talking about La Liga, specifically. I mean, if they, they can bring Barcelona and Real Madrid onto their network, you know, I think they, they gladly let some of this other stuff go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's a possible outcome. I mean, it's still something that hasn't been finalized, and it's still something that could happen. You mean, imagine if ESPN is able to go ahead and figure out a way to break the contract, have, have BN Sports break the contract, or have BN Sports uh, agree to sub-license some games out to ESPN. Um, and then once the World Cup is over, at the end of um, the, the 2022 World Cup is over, then at that point, BN Sports says, OK, we're pulling the plug on the network and La Liga writes, OK, ESPN, you can gobble up the rest of them that, that's available. I mean, there's so many different possible outcomes. But, and, can uh, you, and here's something also I would consider with this. I think La Liga would be conscious of the U.S. market at that point. They may set the El Clasico kickoff time uh, to what ESPN and ABC want for the best rating possible on ABC. So yeah. it, could, it could really be a game changer if somehow uh, – but this all is contingent on what happens to BN, right? If, if La well, Liga stays on BN, I know we've talked about this over and over on, again on this show, then – then all of this is, is idle speculation. It's, it's, it's not worth anything. Well, I, I think the other, the, the other thing, though, too, the other factor is, is Messi. If Messi decides to leave Barcelona this summer and goes to the Premier League or goes to Major League Soccer or goes wherever he goes... So if, he, if he goes to PSG, he's still on BN. But if he goes somewhere else... Right, but if you're ESPN+, Plus, if you're ESPN, you're thinking about, okay, La Liga, do I put the money down now and get the rights or figure out a way to, to, to work with being sports or, and La Liga to get the rights? Or do I wait until I know what's happening with that Messi? That is a great point. Now, let's, let's, let's go back uh, 12 years. ESPN decided they would sub-license some La Liga matches from Gold TV 
the summer Cristiano Ronaldo signed with Real Madrid. And that was apparently the reason. Right. So this does this stuff does matter. It does. It does. I, I mean, La Liga without Messi. I mean, yes, Atleti's doing well. Luis Suarez. I mean, Griezmann. I mean, there's, there's definitely some uh, top-level players. Um, but you don't have a uh, Erling Haaland. I mean, you don't have a, a, a Kylian Mbappe. You don't have uh, some of these. And you don't have Neymar. I mean, so I think a lot of it, too, is ESPN's got to be thinking, okay, once we know with Messi what happens then we know what we need to do. Because if he stays with La Liga, I mean, the, the value of La Liga uh, stays high. If he leaves, I mean, if I'm ESPN, I'm like, well, do I still... I mean, the Real Madrid against Barcelona, yes, it's, it's a big game. But without Ronaldo, without, without now, without Messi, possibly, what is that? What is that interest level on, on that game? And that's just one game. I mean, there's many other games. The only thing I can see happening is Real Madrid would have to sign Mbappe at that point for the league's sake, it, right. it feels like. Yeah. Or Haaland, but more likely Mbappe. Um, yeah, yeah, that's and a it, really but good it, question because maybe La Liga is not worth it if Messi leaves. Maybe it just doesn't have the same value. Well, yeah, def- definitely less. That. Definitely less, yeah. All right, so <laughs> good point there, JP. You got us into a big debate there. Um, next up is Russ. Russ says, hi, guys. I had been... Uh, I had been the classic hate soccer-hating American. I started glancing at Premier League action during commercials on on the NFL games in December 2010. I laughed at the passing backwards, the nil-nil draws, and the seemingly pointlessness of the whole thing. Only during NFL commercial breaks would I watch. That is the key. Commercial, uh, commercials irritate me to no end. I was find my, finding myself watching... 50 to, 50 to 60 minutes of each game. I learned about the histories, the ri- rivalries, and the relegation. Such a foreign uh, concept. And the insane fans. My sporting world flipped. I started watching the Premier League as my primary primary and only NFL... Uh, uh, primary watching and only watched NFL during Premier League commercials. 15 minutes every two hours. I don't even watch the NFL anymore. Since Peacock raised its ugly head, now pecking away at 45% of the games, I'm moving from angry at the greed about paying twice into acceptance. The acceptance isn't what you may think. I will not download Peacock. I'll watch only what I get on NBCSN. If it's not there, it doesn't exist. I've made my peace with that. This last week, I missed my first game on NBCSN in years. I didn't even know it was on. Peacock f- fatigue uh, had me not care about uh, enough to look. My passionate eleven-year-old eleven-year love affair with the Premier League is fading. The only chance of rekindling it is if ESPN Plus gets the contract. Congrats, Peacock! You killed my Premier League buzz. So I, th- I think this is this is kind of harsh. I mean, I mean, this is the way everything's moving. I mean, we talk about ESPN Plus and Paramount Plus and Peacock. Uh, premium and Fanatis and DAZN and you name it. So, but there is that accessibility issue and there's that accessibility concern. And with the Premier League, the Premier League wants to have that reach. They want to be on television, public facing, privately, they want the money. And this is going to be more and more relevant. This is going to be more and more uh, the case, I think, Kartik, with a lot of people like losing interest. You're going to lose a lot of people too. 
Yeah, and and again, I think Peacock as an app, even if you pay for it, it's just got this 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 kind of clunkiness and this the inability to to pause and and do the sort of things that you need to do that you want to do during a match uh, to make it as useful as ESPN Plus. So I I don't know if that's by design, if that's deliberate, because they're trying to make you uh, watch and pay attention and not fast forward and not. Uh, and not, and not, but you can pause live TV if you have a DVR, which almost everybody has now, uh, if you have cable or satellite. So it's still to be quite bizarre. And uh, I'm getting more and more complaints about Peacock privately, uh, Chris. So you would think as time moved on, it would be it would lessen and people would get used to it. Yeah. But it, it's 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 intensifying. So I think this is now on NBC's end. If they retain the rights, they've got to do something to fix the platform and make the platform more uh, live sports friendly. I mean, I, same thing. I mean, maybe the NHL didn't want to be, they, they thought ESPN plus was better because maybe they had the same concern about Peacock. We don't know what happened in those negotiations that you, maybe you can't pause NHL games on a, on a Peacock. <laughs> like maybe right. they didn't want to st- stick with them as a partner. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, Peacock's still five bucks a month. I mean, or it's free if you have Comcast, and I, I still think that they're waiting for the Olympics. And I think that NBC will either uh, bring out some changes before the Olympics and have the capability to go ahead and pause live television, or we'll wait until the Olympics are over and then roll out some of these changes. And uh, from a technological point of view, I'm sure there's a lot more involved if you can pause live TV um, or, or, or live streaming of games. And it'd be much easier to have one stream and it's the same for everyone and you can go ahead and just show it without having to pause it. But uh, Tim Keen goes on to say, uh, the other day, Comcast increased my fixed rate contract by $10 a month. When I complained about this, I was told about I was told that my contract will stay the same. The additional $10 was increased fees re- relating to broadcast and regional sports. When I started discussing cancelling my service, I was told I still had a contract that ran through August and that cancelling it would uh, subject me to a penalty. They were not interested in renegotiating any price or any package. Perhaps this was due to the fact I'm in contract, but it seems they're playing a little bit more hardball these days. I was thinking of switching to T-Vision, which is the service offered by T-Mobile, uh, when looking at their service, they seem to cover all bases except for CBS, which now, of course, you can get through a Paramount Plus package and add that to ESPN Plus. Um, and, and and the thing I found out actually recently about uh, T-Mobile's uh, streaming service uh, is that uh, what they did is they picked up uh, a lot of the agreements that uh, PlayStation View had. So PlayStation View, which was the streaming service from from Sony, uh, had rights to almost everything, had rights to all these broadcast networks and then pulled the plug and went out of business uh, for that service. But uh, that's how T-Mobile was able to, to do a lot of these deals and uh, kind of launch their service so quickly. They, they picked up those, those, those uh, or I guess bought those contracts that were in place. All right, Kartik, next up is uh, Graham. Graham says, by, by the way, go ahead. Sorry, just real quickly, I want to mention that's a big advantage of Paramount Plus versus Peacock also that you can get your uh, local CBS affiliate. Now, I'm not a cord cutter, but for you, I'm sure it's, it's, it's a really good deal that you can get your Jacksonville uh, CBS station affiliate through, uh, through Paramount+. Plus. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I, but I, the only time I go to Paramount Plus... Well, actually, no, I was going to say, the only time I go to Paramount Plus is for soccer. Uh, but I have gone and watched... I mean, my kids watched the SpongeBob movie. I finished watching The Stand. And little by little, there's, there's a couple of good documentaries in there. But from this, the local... I, I don't really watch local television that much. So for me, it's not a big uh, plus. But I, I can see how that would be for some people, though, for sure. That would be a, a definitely a, a good uh, value add. Uh, Graham says, uh, maybe I'm missing something, but I find CBS's play in this market segment the worst for soccer. Not sure where NBC will go in the future, but their presentation currently is the most professional and is of high quality if you're watching the Premier League. For for years now, we have been able to watch all the Premier League games on both NBCSN and Peacock. Next best is ESPN Plus for both games in Europe and general soccer reporting. I'm a Liverpool fan, and I can never get the, the Champions League for most of their games in an English-language format, and so I watch on the Univision channels, Tudoene, Unamas, etc. in Spanish. CBS's advertising is almost non-existent, which indicates how much they know about soccer. I am a Comcast customer with almost every channel you can buy, and an ESPN Plus customer. I hope I don't have to add Paramount to my already expensive monthly packages. Like I said, I'm maybe I'm missing something, but I hope CBS does not win anything in the upcoming bidding war. So, Graham, yeah, uh, Paramount Plus would be the, the way to go if you wanted to have access to all those Liverpool games in the Champions League uh, in English language with commentary by... Clive Tildesley or Peter Drury and Jim Beglin and some of the some of the best in the business and um, as well as NWSL coverage Europa League coverage and it's it's like what six bucks a month it's worth it I think yeah you get Cara also if you're a Liverpool fan so yeah Jamie uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Cara important. 23 that's right Fetch, Fetchin says I think NBC will keep the Premier League and maybe 200 to 250 games will be on Peacock in 2022 and the rest should go to NBC and show two live matches every weekend on the main NBC not the USA network um, and he goes on to say that um, he thinks that uh, Serie A might stick with ESPN Plus La Liga will go to ESPN Plus and ABC and he believes that Liga uh, might go to ESPN Plus in his opinion Two more to go. Jazinho says, far less under wishful thinking, but I hope who whoever comes out on top with a new Premier League deal would also have the English Football League and the League Cup and the FA Cup to come uh, alongside it. This may be a good opportunity for Peacock to fortify itself with English football. But then again, I'd love to see Kate Abdo cover the Premier League on CBS like she does with the Champions League. So at the same time that ESPN Plus has the final season of the Serie A under the current deal, it's also the final season of the EFL deal with ESPN Plus. So for the championship, League One, League Two, and uh, also I believe the FA Cup too, uh, which is probably also the yes. League League Cup. So the opportunity... The FA Cup's the same deal as Serie A, actually. It's, it's, it's the same uh, IMG. Previously, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, on, on the same cycle. So it's quite likely that, um, I mean, whoever wants it can get it for the right amount of money. So if uh, if Peacock says, hey, we're going to get, we're confident that we're going to get the Premier League rights, uh, what would be a great value add to that? Let's get the FA Cup rights. Let's get uh, the championship. 
and let's get the League Cup, and let's become the home of English soccer uh, in streaming. That definitely gives them a, a, a differentiator. They have WSL already. And Women's so. Super League, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they could they could just... I, it, it's made sense, right? I mean, the disappointment, I think, to a lot of fans was when this uh, when IMG decided to bundle Serie A in the FA Cup a couple of years ago because I, th- I think we were all hoping at the time NBC would get the FA Cup. It was just very logical and made it uh, a- a- and a good synergy. And what has happened since in NBC's coverage of the Premier League is they pretend like the FA Cup and League Cup don't happen. Uh, but that wouldn't have, I don't think that evolution well, would have happened if, if they had got, I secured the rights to one or the other. The, the, I have to laugh at that, Kartik, because you, you, you're right. Because last week, uh, it was a midweek game, and Manchester City were playing midweek, and it was Tim Howard and Robbie Musto uh, doing the halftime or post-match analysis. I think it was post-match analysis. And they were talking about Manchester City, and they were saying, like, hey, this team is unbeaten currently. This is last week. Unbeaten, going on this huge run. Um, they're in, they've got a chance for four cups. This, this could be the quadruple. And for the first time in I don't know how, many lo- how long, maybe months, maybe a couple of years, they started talking about the Champions League. And I'm like, wow, it's, it's been so long since I've had to hear Tim Howard and Robbie Musto on a Premier League show talking about the Champions League and how big a factor that was. I'm like, yeah, that is strange, right? Because, I mean, if it's ESPN FC or if it's being sports or whatever, they're, they're, they're talking about all the different leagues from around the world. Even the FA Cup, because there have been numerous times this season with the condensed schedule that I've noticed NBC's uh, studio pundits have not, have not, I think, realized or cared that, that the Premier League team had had an FA Cup or Carabao Cup match in midweek, and they had rotated their squad accordingly, and they'll just kind of skip over the information. Um, well, I think and, that they're aware. Multiple, yeah. I think, I think well, it's on for purpose. For whatever reason, they're not even saying, okay, well, that's not good either, right? Yeah, because so I think... They, they, yeah, I was going to say, maybe if they had secured the rights to the FA Cup, they'd have a different attitude. Yeah, and I think it is basically that um, they want to keep the Premier League happy. They're focused on the Premier League. They're talking about the Premier League. They're not too concerned about the competition, whether it's CBS with the Champions League coverage. But they just don't talk about it. And, and um, it is it is weird, very weird, especially when you have a team that's so... I mean, all these players, all these major teams are so intertwined with these big co- competitions, whether it's the Europa League or Champions League. It does have an impact. I mean, we, we're watching soccer, you know, three to four times a week, some of us seven days a week. But it's it's different competitions on different networks. And they're all the same players. You know what I mean? So, all right. Last but not least, uh, Disco George says, I had a similar experience as the viewer who wrote in regarding Xfinity and getting a better deal in store. I went into Exchange a Box and ended up getting a way better package than they were offering online. The rep also mentioned that the contract I was signing was only in regard to having Xfinity service in general. Like even if I just downgraded to the to the internet service and didn't have TV anymore, that would be fine. I felt okay with that since the other internet provider in my area kind of sucks. Also, I'm really looking forward to the new show with Hercules Gomez and Seb Salazar on ESPN+, which is called Football Americas. It fills the void left by the old Max and Herc and two on on three podcasts about North American soccer in general and not just the league specific. 
and I missed it, Kartik. I, I know it was on this week. Um, I think on Monday, I think it was. But uh, I missed, missed the first episode. But uh, looking forward to catching up on that on uh, ESPN Plus. Yeah, I, I'm excited about it. I haven't seen it yet, um, uh, but I'm uh, I'm. I'm excited about that show and plan to make that show a regular part of my uh, viewing diet all right listeners thank you for sticking with us this has been a long show but uh, i hope you agree that uh, we've covered a lot of bases once again with no commercials no breaks and uh but we want you to have your say because you're an integral part of the show you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at World Soccer Talk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, before we go, anything, any parting words, anything that, uh, that you want to give a shout out? Yeah, I forgot to do the match of the week. It's Milan now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 3.45 p.m. Eastern. I remember they changed the clocks this week in Europe. 3.45 p.m. Eastern on uh, ESPN Plus. On, on Sunday? Sunday, on Sunday. On Sunday, yeah. And I've got my... Uh, which would be actually, well, they actually will overlap a little bit, but I've got uh, Boca Juniors against River Plate on Sunday, 5 p.m. Yeah. Eastern on Fanatis. It's, uh, it's on TYC Sports also, so if you have Fubo, you can get it that way. But the feed from Fanatis, um, they're going with the live commentary directly from Argentina. So they have the exclusive Argentinian uh, Spanish language commentary, which I would imagine would be so much more... Uh, flavorful and passionate and explosive. So I'm looking forward to watching that one on Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern. That's where I'll be. And uh, listeners, wherever you will be this weekend, uh, watching soccer from around the world and uh, for the next week, uh, we hope you have a good time. And Kartik, uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. <laughs>